And then they get her to cash out her investments. And then they get her to mortgage her house. And this is a very common pathway that I'm telling you about. And none of these things looked connected to each other, but of course they all were. This is C-Suite, the podcast where you'll hear stories from real people, leaders, and cybersecurity experts about how to stay connected and protected. Welcome back to our second season. Every episode, we'll explore where cyber issues come from and how we can outsmart even the most sophisticated attempts to compromise our security. I'm your host, Claudette McGowan. While the pandemic kept us apart from friends and loved ones physically, it also brought us closer together virtually. For the internet kids of the 90s and 2000s, this shift didn't feel like a dramatic learning curve. But for many people over the age of 60, staying connected during the pandemic required a crash course in the language of the web. As the baby boomer generation began using digital devices more frequently to stay in touch with loved ones, they quickly became easy targets for cyber attacks. In 2020, the FBI's Internet Crime Complaint Center reported that 28% of the total fraud losses, or roughly 1 billion US, were sustained by victims over the age of 60. Since January 2020, adults ages 60 and older reported nearly 26,000 pandemic-related scams, with a combined loss totaling over $141 million. They're one of the vulnerable populations at higher risk for COVID-19, and now they're the biggest targets for scammers looking to prey on people during one of the worst pandemics our country has seen. A national seniors advocacy organization says they're seeing a 10% increase in complaints about scammers, and it's creating overwhelming circumstances for the few services that exist. In today's episode, we'll be discussing cybersecurity for those over the age of 60 with Laura Tamblin Watts, the founder and CEO of CanAge, Canada's national seniors advocacy organization. We'll also hear from the mother of four professional tennis players, Patricia Jensen, who recently experienced a potential cyber attack firsthand. As a passionate seniors advocate and the founder and CEO of CanAge, Laura Tamblin Watts has an intimate awareness of the cyber risks people over the age of 60 face today. While cybersecurity was a concern before the pandemic, social distancing restrictions forced this age group to move many aspects of their lives online. Unfortunately, this change made them all the more vulnerable to cyber attacks. So now we're not just talking about saying hi to the grandkids, although that was critically important, but it was doctor's appointments. It was social clubs. It was your bridge club. It was any way that you wanted to be connected with your community and also greater networks of support and information. So you might pop down to the coffee shop and see your friends in the morning and exchange the news of the day or catch up on who's doing what. And that coffee shop conversation had to move in a different direction. And then lastly, commerce. People who had never ordered anything or frankly had anything delivered in their lifetimes, all of a sudden now started using apps, not just websites. 
and all kinds of notifications and reminders as well. And so medication check-ins, reminders, and those types of things also became automated. The last thing a lot of people had to do, and there were challenges with this in some cases, was getting your darn vaccine certificate, which for many people was actually a real challenge. We saw uptake in a whole bunch of different areas. And again, for people who were involved, they may have gone from a more passive role to a much more active role. But what they may not have is all of the calcifications and worries that we had maybe 10 years ago about cybercrime. So they may be quite new to it. People don't necessarily know how to judge the risks. And I think that's really important. The pandemic opened up the floodgates for scammers of all kinds to take advantage of a chaotic time. But even as the pandemic winds down, there are still subtle risks to be aware of. Laura outlines some of the most common ways bad actors will reel people in online, especially people over 60 and potentially more vulnerable to attacks. So the first thing, of course, is e-advertising or what we call spam. And I think lots of people kind of know what that is, but it can be something like download this for free and then it will contain a link to a website. When you're doing that, there'll be some kind of window that pops up. Click here to download, right? And then they download it. And of course, what you've done is download a virus or you've downloaded a, what we call a worm, something into your computer, or it's just now taking up all of your information and has turned it into what we call a bit of a zombie, if you will. You are also putting in your information often, right? And so you're putting in your name and your address and your email and maybe your birth date and whatever else they can get out of from you. And those are really common. Another one, of course, is the money transfer request scam. I know it sounds like a good old fashioned one, but those Nigerian princes, they, uh, they apparently are very, very popular. So it could be an email from somebody overseas that someone has died without an heir and that the estate's gonna pass to you. It could be somebody who's done a lottery and that you've won, you know, a lottery and all or a, a prize of something. And often they'll choose ones that people do enter, right? Like are ones that they've heard of. So, you know, if you won Lotto Max or something, you think, oh yeah, I guess I, maybe I bought a ticket a while back. Or, you know, it's not an unusual thing necessarily. Or they could be a that your so-and-so has entered your name. That's a good one. Your child, your nephew, your grandchild entered you in a lottery. They put your name down and all you have to do. And of course, then you think, oh, that's wonderful, right? I didn't know about that. And so those are ones that will come to your computer really very regularly. So of course, you you don't have to pay any money to inherit anything and, and you shouldn't put that money out there. And that's really what it is. If you're putting your information out there, that's really your money. The last piece I would talk about really on the identity theft piece is that it can happen through your phone. And most people think of their phones as being more private, right? They're, they often will get their heads around the fact that some of the emails will be phishing or that there's malware in it. You can kind of get that because it's sort of more commonly understood now. It's been around for a while. But where we're really seeing is that people are now sending text messages to people and particularly older folks who may be more new to cell phones and more new to smart devices in particular. And so, you know, if we think about who we text, we do tend to text people who are closer to us and email tends to be more almost like the postal service, right? Anyone can email you. And so if you're getting a text message, but you don't necessarily know or it's not your contacts, you're more likely to trust it. And if they're focused on like, hey, it's your brother, 
right? Guess what I got? Click here. I'm sending you a hilarious picture. Well, I know. And if it comes from some unknown thing, but they've said it's your brother, you are more likely. So text messages have now become fake relationship fraud. And, uh, and a lot can happen through that. As the mother of four professional tennis players and an internet user over the age of 60, Patricia Jensen has encountered her fair share of attempted scams. I think to begin with, especially with the boys, because my sons won the French Open in 1993. So as a result, we received a lot of phone calls from foundations and charities. And so I would say, well, their parents fee or their appearance agreement includes ABC and then a, and a dollar figure. The initial response was always, but it's a charity. And I said, well, when we call American Express at the end of the month, they don't delete our usual and ordinary expenses because we scheduled your charity. So that was a big learning experience, not only for ourselves, but for the foundations or the 501c3s that we were working with. Patricia had to be quick on her feet, managing so many inbound phone calls for her sons. Nowadays, requests like this can come in all different technological mediums, some that people of all ages may not be familiar with. Right now, getting ready for the summer, our professional tennis event here in Atlanta, I have one sophomore in high school and maybe an 11-year-old who's working on a something snap, but they're making fun of me because I send their parents telling them, you know, what the date is, what the report time is, who the match is, et cetera, et cetera. And with this something snap, whatever they showed me app, it's amazing how much within, you know, just a click of the button, everybody gets the information. If you are not digitally literate, you face a greater risk of being pulled into a scam. But does this mean that people over the age of 60 should avoid technology? According to Laura, absolutely not. There's no reason why people of any age group should be left behind during a time of such rapid technological advancements. Staying safe is simply a matter of increasing cyber education and awareness. So we think that technology is a good And we think that making sure that people have access to the technology and increasing digital literacy is critically important as we age. But we need also to keep up with those advancements because we do have this shadow capital market out there looking for ways to exploit people, particularly older adults. In the first year of the pandemic alone, we saw elder abuse and neglect increase by about 200 and 50%. One thing that we can say about cyber criminals is they are entrepreneurial and they are fast off the mark. So the minute that we had in Canada government services like CERB or other types of pandemic responses, we saw the rise of cyber crimes and frauds around those types of things immediately. Do you want to qualify? You could qualify. Just put your SIN number in, click this link. You've got to pay a little bit in order to get your larger funding back and so forth. And they were just exponential. In fact, one of the first things that we did in the pandemic was create materials on COVID-based frauds and scams. That also had a second bucket. So we saw people really getting scammed around solutions, quote unquote, to COVID-19. Now remember, this is pre-vaccine. But the degree of misinformation or medication or supplements, and that may seem banal 
that, you know, why would anyone fall for that? But of course, people were in a panic and were looking for any type of resources as well. So we also saw not just the qualifications of benefits, scams and frauds, but we also saw this type of health-based frauds and scams. And the last one we saw, particularly for older people, is a third bucket of services. So remember, doors were closed. Everyone needed to stay home, particularly people 70 plus were told to self-isolate, not go outside. So this was an exponential increase in frauds and scams for services. It was confusing days, right? Because we would have new delivery services popping up all the time. How do you get your groceries? How do you get your banking done? And so on. And so there was a lot of confusion in the marketplace about what was real and what wasn't real. For every legitimate outreach, there were probably about 10 that were not real and people would get uh, scammed into those. So those were three buckets that we saw happen, not just at the beginning, but became of course more refined as we went through the pandemic further. Laura's point about how remote calls and digital outreach have increased during the pandemic reflected Patricia's concerns about the sheer volume of phone calls and requests she was getting when she managed her son's PR. With so much inbound communication, it became difficult and overwhelming to decipher the potential threats. When we're this busy, it's important to slow down and assess, especially when we may not understand the medium. Patricia shared the story of a recent run-in she had with a potential scammer. I don't have much time to be a normal shopper, so I always go to eBay for unusual things that I think I might need. There was something, I can't even remember what the item was. Whatever I had placed an offer on, I went to my phone and paid it via PayPal, and that was the very first time that I had ever paid for an eBay item on PayPal. Within 20 to 30 minutes, I received a an email claiming that they thanked me for the $425 purchase of something Linksys with a reference number, and I called that number right away because the eBay purchase was like $7 or $8 or something like that. So I called the the 800 number immediately and he said, well, how many people use your PayPal account? I said, I'm the only one. And he said, well, this order came from Ohio and he said it was a computer. It was being sent to California. Not many computers are $400. So anyway, moving right along. So I said to him, I'm going to go to the bank then to make sure that it's disputed. He said, oh, no, 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 we don't need to do that because we are the the fraud department and yada, yada. Well, I went to the bank anyway, and I had my branch banker call the number again and go through the same story. And what was interesting, and the banker, you know, almost grabbed his head, this person named Sam gave us his supposed personal cell phone number to call because he wanted the banker in front of my computer to go through what needed to be done to supposedly delete this situation. Thankfully, Patricia knew to ask an expert at her bank when she felt something was suspicious. It's always best to double check with an expert 
to avoid getting caught up in a bad situation. However, many people over the age of 60 are not so lucky. Laura shared the frightening story of a woman who was scammed out of thousands of dollars by an online imposter a few years ago. I'll share a story that happened just prior to the pandemic. And why I offer this one is because this person would not ever meet anyone's threshold for vulnerable, right? So this person who I'll call Mary, she is not, but she she comes from a, a strong, connected community, a South Asian community in the GTA area. She'd worked at a financial institution for 30 years. So she was very savvy to finance. She had no cognitive impairment. She was, I think, young in my world. She was sort of 75 and able and connected. She had three children. One of them was a lawyer. One of them was a doctor. And one of them was an investment advisor. Sounds great. She got caught first in a romance scam. She was on a website in the usual style. And she got taken in by somebody who was catfishing. And this relationship develops over the course of about a month. So it's absolutely different. And we have to think about that. So sometimes people invest upfront time. Now, they're just not investing it with you. You know, they're running it with like 100 other people at the same time, but they're wanting to see who they can get. So they're developing a relationship, but like so many relationships, it was an online relationship, right? They were going to meet, they showed pictures. Of course, it wasn't really him. And then that information got sold. So the information that he'd gathered from her, from their online, was being sold off. So now she was actually, you know, getting other types of predation, which was focused on the information that they garnered from her, her particular areas of interest, right? So she liked to do these activities. Great. Well, then now sweepstakes on those activities were coming. And they were really good because they were tailored directly to her. And it would even say, like, your daughter so-and-so did this. Because, of course, she had shared on the romance scam about her children's names and where they lived and so on. So that information was being sold onwards to other scam artists. And they were able to curate specific kind of plug-and-play scams for her. And then threats started coming. They preyed upon information they gathered from her and she started having to get money. And she went to her large financial institution, which she had worked for. And she had very regular withdrawals. She was a person that withdrew like $1,500 a month type thing. And she had sort of stable income. And then she was given information about how to speak to the bank. So she went there the first day with an honest to goodness, one of those gym bags that you get when you're free gym bag membership. And she actually withdrew $30,000 in cash And they asked no questions. And then a few days later, she goes back kind of with the same gym bag and talks to somebody else. And at this point, they ask another little question, but she was primed. Oh, she said, I'm having some work done around the house and they have some extra materials, which is, by the way, also a scam. I have some extra materials and I'm going to pay for it with cash. And they go, okay. So then they took $40,000 in cash for her. And now she's withdrawn essentially more money than she would live on in two years in the matter of days. And then what happens, and I'll kind of jump a little bit forwards, is she's starting to get scared and they're sending her all over and threatening her. People are knocking on her door and leaving her things and threatening because, of course, they got local people now too, right? So she's not met anyone, but they, they're they literally watching her house at this point at the same time as she's being exploited in lotteries and HVAC systems and everything else. And then they get her to cash out her investments and then they get her to mortgage her house. And this is a very common pathway that I'm telling you about. And none of these things looked connected to each other, but of course they all were because behind the scenes, there was this one romance scam that was under it all. 
And she went from being, you know, perfectly fine, owning her own house. She had about three quarters of a million dollars in savings, which she felt was more than she would ever, ever need, um, to almost bankrupt in the period of four months. Mary's story serves as a reminder of just how easy it can be to fall into a scam that can lead to major consequences. For anyone facing a similar situation, Laura suggests taking steps like seeking help from the police, writing an email to your financial institution, and reporting the activity to the National Anti-Fraud Center. She also shared some helpful tips and resources that can help people over the age of 60 protect against online scams, especially if they live with cognitive impairment. It's really important that for people who may have some cognitive impairment or some reminders about what to look out for. So this is a person who may be a bit more vulnerable as sort of the prevention piece. I think it's great. There's some posters on the Canadian Centre for Elder Law's website, and they've got a great set of materials called Be a Savvy Senior. And it's a publication fact sheet on fraud prevention. And so you can find that at bcli.org or just Google Savvy Senior Canada. And you can find these fact sheets. There's a calendar. There's some other blog posts and downloads. I think those are fine to resource, but they can also be useful to print out and put up somewhere where that vulnerable person might be. And so they can put it on the fridge and remind yourself, oh yeah, or wherever the phone is. (laughs) That's right. That sounds like it. I also had a little note above my mom's phone once. Those little reminders, I think, can be helpful for people who have more politeness and good manners or who need a bit of reminding that for those of them that that are answering the phone, that you can just hang up. And of course, don't click on anything that you don't know. I mean, we've said that time and time again, but that means preventatively, some of us will need to connect to older people with some digital literacy tools, with some digital training. There's a wonderful organization, it's a not-for-profit called GLUE, G-L-U-U. And they are superb. They're out of British Columbia, the gluesociety.org. And they've got all kinds of free technology and they have great ways of learning what is what is not legitimate online. So gluesociety.org, G-L-U-U, society.org is fantastic for digital literacy skills for seniors. Remember that your information is your greatest commodity. And when you are in Facebook or social media and they have those little, what's your best friend's name and what's your sister's name and what's your favorite color and what year did you graduate high school? Every single one of those games is a fraud. Everyone. And so don't just answer, okay, step one. But second, if you've seen your friend post one of those saying, oh, my, you know, I graduated in this year or, you know, my alumni is that thing, or my dog's name is such and such. Take the additional step and post or call them and say, you should be more careful. Take that down. And also, you may want to add some monitoring. So that's step one. Step two, talk to your financial institution. Ask them what steps they can put in place for things like withdrawals, or do you need double signatures, or is there a withdrawal limit, or who needs to be approving And so as banking is going increasingly online or by text message, make sure you speak to your financial institution and say what you would want and talk to them, know for certain how they communicate with you and how they don't. So 
to have that conversation so that you don't answer one of the banks you think. And it, some of the pages are so perfect. But if they say we will never reach out to you this way or you only have a protocol of a particular thing you're going to say or a catchphrase or a, you're only going to call, that's really helpful safety planning. Arming yourself with digital literacy tools and keeping communication lines open with those you trust are some of the best tools we have in the fight against cyber threats. After Patricia's off-putting cyber incident, she also had a few wise words to share about staying safe online. Well, I just think that everybody has to be extremely careful and investigate. Make sure that it's coming from a legitimate company and pay, for example, PayPal is legitimate and I've used it for multiple years but somehow, some way, because of the fact that I used my PayPal account on my phone, somehow, some way, this gentleman was able to, to get it. And so, I, and obviously, my email address then is somehow attached to my phone number. Everybody should question. And well, and I think if you talk to people, like yourself or talk to people who are knowledgeable or or your 10-year-old grandson in a situation like myself let them show you tell you what's legitimate and what isn't when it comes to cybersecurity for adults over 60 Laura reminded us that reducing the stigma will ultimately help in preventing attacks in the future it's never too late to learn a new skill take a class or ask more questions. And most importantly, falling for a scam is nothing to feel guilty about. It can happen to anyone. Don't be ashamed. It's happened to everyone. It's happened to me. I've clicked on things I shouldn't click. We all have. One of the biggest concerns that older people have is that there's the stigma there's the stigma of being old and maybe that people will think that they shouldn't be using technology anyway, right? So they've got this uh, digital stigma. And then they're very worried that people will think that they've lost mental capacity and take away their rights. And those are really strong concerns. And so very often people will not be reporting this and the degree of embarrassment and shame may end up looking like illness or trauma. So if you see somebody who's looking really concerned and unwell and not going to talk to you and maybe they're isolating themselves, be alert. It may not be a health issue. It may be a financial health issue. The wild, wild web can be a dangerous place for anyone, but especially for vulnerable populations, people with cognitive impairment, or anyone with low digital literacy. Thankfully, there are steps we can all take to stay vigilant and protect against potential scams. First, never be ashamed of not understanding something you've encountered online. It's never a bad idea to seek out resources or ask a trusted source for their thoughts before taking action online, especially if something feels off. Try to avoid giving away personal information online whenever possible. Before revealing your phone number, address, or any other personal details, be sure you know and trust the site you're on or the person you're communicating with. People who live with cognitive impairment are in need of even more protections than the average internet user. 
If someone in your life is extra vulnerable to online or phone scams, help them stay safe by connecting them with helpful reminders and cybersecurity resources. Thank you to Laura for sharing your expert knowledge and to Patricia for sharing your story. And thank you for listening to C-Suite. If you liked what you heard, be sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Join me for the next episode airing on March 17th. I'm Claudette McGowan. And remember, with over 4 billion of us online, we have to do everything possible to keep ourselves connected and protected.